All right. I wish we knew all the results of the midterm election. We don't, but that's what we got to talk about. (laughs) So let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around because we're going to laugh and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. So as much as I was hoping (laughs) to record a podcast with all of the results of our midterm election, uh, it appears we may never have all of the results of our midterm election. As of right this minute, which is Thursday night as I'm recording this, of election week, which was Tuesday, was election day. We still don't know what exactly is happening in Arizona. We still don't know the results in Colorado entirely. We still don't know Nevada. We still have, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of question marks and it feels very third worldy because like I said in my last podcast, back before the pandemic, before the catastrophic 2020 election where nobody feels confident about our elections anymore, We used to know who won every state on election day, much like Florida counted over a million votes in 90 minutes and told us every single elected office, who was the winner, what were the votes. It's just wild that Florida can do that in 90 minutes and Arizona, which has a fraction of Florida's population, is currently saying that they won't know till after the weekend. Nevada, which has a fraction of Florida's votes, we don't know. I think they're coming to the end. Hopefully we'll know that tomorrow. Um, I mean, why? Why would that be, right? Like, why would that be? Even states like New York, which we found out the results of that a day later. I mean, like, why are these states? And the irony of, of Arizona is that the person in charge of running the election is one of the candidates. Like, you can't, that should be like against the rules. There's a lot of things, I guess, that should be against the rules. Is our biggest takeaway from the midterm elections is there's a lot of things that should be against the rules. So three things I kind of want to dive into um, today. And although um, I'm not always the most optimistic podcast you're going to listen to, you're always going to get real information I'm going to share the perspective I'm gaining because I have reflected quite a bit over the last couple of days, tried to learn as much as I can learn. Um, I always want to leave us with hope, but I want to be very honest with you. Our hope is not in our politics. (laughs) Our hope is not in the future presidencies of Trump or DeSantis or whoever else. Our hope is not in taking Congress. Our hope is not in taking the Senate. Our hope is in Jesus, period, full stop. So this whole shenanigans of midterms elect, midterm elections hopefully has only cemented that fact further into all of our hearts. And honestly, I, as much as I felt so much angst, as I talked about on my last podcast, coming into midterms, I really feel very peaceful coming out of midterms. I will say, number one point I want to bring up is that this was a strategy I did not foresee. What has taken place this year's midterms, I predicted either it was going to be a just immense red wave, which 
I think that it could have and should have been, or they were going to take everything and it was going to be blatant cheating and it was going to incite a lot of civil unrest, right? I really didn't foresee kind of a middle road where they were going to allow the conservative side to win, quote unquote, enough where we feel pacified, where we feel like, okay, this could have been legit, right? They, they're really blowing it, dragging it on like they are really blowing it, dragging it on, because it's giving more and more people the sense of what the heck is going on. I mean, that's like yesterday, everybody was kind of still following the count. Today, especially as we're nearing the end of the day, 48 hours later, people are like, what is going on? Why can these states not get it together? What is the problem, right? So, they gave us enough had they just like rounded this whole thing out even yesterday just kind of put a little button on it i think it would have just gone smoothly and whatever fraud did or didn't take place could have just been kind of we might have a bunch of question marks but there was nothing blatant there was nothing terribly obvious except for a couple things i'll point out that maybe it could have just gone by without a hinge a hitch i did not foresee that as a strategy quite brilliant actually to meet in the middle, not allow the red wave and not allow the the blue takeover because no one would believe the Democrats could keep the House and the Senate and all of these governor mansions, right? Like no one would have believed that. So they kind of met in the middle a little bit. Brilliant. Brilliant move, deep state. I'm on to you. Okay. The second thing I want to dive into a little bit is a fact that I I think was very clearly revealed in the midterms that we have not really thought of as possibly like good news, bad news. And that is the fact that conservatives moved in droves out of blue states into predominantly Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. Those were the states that received the most very strong-willed conservatives. I'm sure you can think of personal anecdotes to this being true, right? There are other states that people went to, but my husband's a real estate agent here in Tennessee. We have seen a tremendous amount of -of out-of-state people from blue states coming into this state, and we know that we're, you know, Texas and Florida, the other two popular ones. And when you look at the midterm elections, Tennessee is deep, deep red. Florida flipped every single thing to red, it feels like. Texas flipped a whole lot to red. It got deep, deep red, which Texas was moving in, was trending purple in 2016, right? So the fact that Texas is now deep, deep red shows that they got a lot of conservatives from other areas that are just only strengthening. And of course, they're moving their numbers and the Hispanic vote and all these other categories that are also that also matter in a state like Texas. Then you have Florida, which was a swing state, not even too many election cycles ago, right? Sometimes it goes blue, sometimes it goes red. It is not going blue, mark my words, for at least a decade, if not multiple decades, right? So what we saw is red states got real, real red. And a lot of the the people that were activated, I mean, think about the type of person that decides to leave their state. Many of these people have always lived in those states. 
I mean, I had always, I'd lived my entire life in California. It was something to decide to move across the entire country away from family to a state where I knew zero humans, right? That's what a lot of my husband's clients have done is they've moved from primarily California, I'll be honest, into a state where they know nobody. So the people who are willing to do that, those were probably some of the loudest, most leadership type people in their party in those states, right? The most activated conservatives left their ports, if you will, and, and moved to these conservative areas. I didn't really take that into consideration as to how that would affect the dynamics of our country moving forward. And it will have somewhat of a catastrophic effect that I'm, I'm now realizing. I, I think that we've seen it. I don't think it's going to slow down. I think it's actually going to get, I don't want to say the word worse, but as a statistic, it's, I think only more conservatives are going to move out of these blue areas into more conservative areas because they're recognizing their states are not going to turn. These states are not going to change. These governors are not going to listen. These houses and senates in the states are, the assemblies are not going to favor their, their viewpoint and values. It's never going to reflect that. So I think we're only going to see more and more conservatives move out of these states that might be, in some cases, flip states or swing states. And they're going to move to places that are already very deep red. That's an interesting thing. Now, why do I think that that's super important and people should continue to do that? Because if the country is slipping away from us in terms, I'm speaking of us, like the people who are more conservative minded and wish things would stay more, more aligned with our original intent in our constitution. If you are one of those people and you wish that then it is going to be more important if the country is slipping further away from our values for our local areas, for your neighbors to share your values, right? If the country is going to go somewhere in a handbasket, then we're going to want to know that our neighbors are on the same page, that we are going to stay united um, in our values. We are going to build a community around our values. We are going to build a state stronghold around our values. Even if the federal level is slipping away, at least we can stand firm in our states. Honestly, it's, it's scary to think about the repercussions of something like that, of a strategy like that, but that's the way I think of it is if I can't affect the presidency, and honestly, I cannot, I cannot, I can certainly affect the community that I'm building locally. I can certainly affect the people I associate with, the the children my kids are playing with, whether or not they go to school, what that school is teaching. All of those things are well within my sphere of influence. So although, yes, conservative people moving out of purple and blue states into red states is going to let our larger government slip away from us. That is true. That is going to continue to happen. However... If that is happening one way or another, and it feels like it is, then it's more important to focus locally anyway. Okay, and then the last thing I want to talk about is inflation and how that is unmarried to politics at this point, guys. This is something, um, I'm going to go into that at the end. So those are the things I want to cover. So back to Florida. We saw them count their ballots wildly fast. We see that DeSantis coming in with a brave stance, an anti-woke agenda, right? I mean, he has been very bold in his uh, governance, right? In the stances that he's taken. And it has been rewarded. Look at that state. That is what that state wants. That is, And not just that state. People want that they're moving there to get under that leadership. Let that be a message 
to governors in other states that are conservative. Obviously, we're going to see Carrie Lake. I'm still confident she's going to take Arizona. We're going to see her in a similar thread, right? We saw um, uh, Nome up in North Dakota, South Dakota, North Dakota, I think. Also very strong in her government, in her governance through the pandemic. We saw that. So it's popular. Like, do that, guys. Do that. It'll be rewarded. Abbott got um, reelected in Texas. He's not quite as strong as DeSantis, but he's strong. He's willing to take a firm stance on things, and it is rewarded. It is reelected. It is encouraged. It is attractive to people from other states, right? That's what we need. That's what we want. So here we are in Arizona and Nevada. Essentially, the entire country right now is is hanging in the balance of Arizona and Nevada. And why do I say, and Georgia, but Georgia, we're now kicking the can to December because they are in a runoff. But why do I say that we're hanging in the balance of Arizona and Nevada? Because if Nevada and Arizona, both of those senators win for the conservative side, for the Republicans, then that means that we have a very good chance of, of getting the Senate and the House that's insane. And I mentioned Colorado. Lauren Boebert has basically, they called that she lost her race as of last night. But today, I don't know, magically, it's she has now taken the lead again after they called it, which just goes to show the power of the media and how once they say, and I remember this in 2020, after AP came out, the Associated Press and called the election for Joe Biden, I remember talking to somebody and I was like, well, what does that mean? The Associated Press doesn't get to say who the president is, like the vote count gets to say, and the votes have not all been counted. And they were like, the media said, like, as if I was like, no, I hear what you're saying, but that doesn't actually, they have no actual authority. But according to this person, they did. They're, it's propaganda, right? It is the, um, it, it, it sends the momentum and the energy and the narrative in a certain direction. And it's hard to shift after that. So they called it for that Bobert loss. But now we're seeing that she's winning here as of Thursday night in Colorado. So we'll have to see how that goes. But all eyes on Arizona and Nevada in terms of the Senate race, which would be important. But we have zero. We do not have the results. We do not have the results. And it's going to take forever. Do you know what that means when you're at least 48 hours after an election and you don't have the results, that means fraud. I'm so sorry to say it. When you are delaying releasing information about an election, it is because you are finding out how many ballots you are short. And this is how this is exactly the game that we saw in 2020, where you saw these injections of ballots. If you look at the graph as the, the ballots are being counted, and we saw this in Pennsylvania, actually, in the midterms, which we're going to get into Pennsylvania in a minute here. We saw that same exact thing happening. You see the blue and the red lines arcing across the, the graph, and then you see the red line is ahead, and then the blue line takes this abrupt, just completely linear jump up, crosses over that red line, and then starts again in the natural arc of counting ballots. Now, people say, oh, that's just an upload of votes. Oh, only for blue? Because there is not also a smaller spike for red votes you're what you're arguing there is that there was a injection of votes that were only blue period there was not a single red vote in that entire injection of of uh ballots counted i mean it is this is what they are looking for in arizona and trust you me 
if the Republicans get the Senate, they already have the House. We knew we were getting the House. The Senate was the question mark. If the Republicans get the Senate, this everything's on the table. Investigations into Fauci, into Hunter Biden. I mean, everything is on the table. An impeachment of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, which I don't know that that's the road we need to take, but that is on the table. And the Democrats know that. The left knows that. They know they need the Senate. So they're hesitant to release batches of votes before they can inject false information into these ballots. I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me it's just that they can only count 12,000 votes a day because they have two people counting. I don't, I mean, why on earth else would it be taking? And it's only in Democratic strongholds within the state. All the rural areas were able to get their votes in. Why is it only Maricopa County? Why are we struggling in these Democratic-run areas? In the very, very least, if it's not malfeasance, it is incompetence to the nth degree. And in the case of Arizona, if you are this incompetent in running an election, Katie Hobbs, why on earth would anyone think you would be competent as a governor? But you're running the election that you're in, and it's taking this long, and it feels really sketchy. The whole thing smells. I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Email me, wendycunningham at protonmail.com, and tell me I'm wrong in suspecting this, okay? Another thing I want to point out is that it is possible, and I wasn't really focused on this so much, although it was on my radar, but I wasn't really focused on how much it would matter strategically moving forward, was those governor positions in certain key states. It might even be more important or I should say <laughs> posthumously, it might have been more important that we got some key governor positions won in this election. And there's kind of a looking forward to presidential elections in the future and why this matters. So let's talk about that. I think it was more important than winning the House or the Senate. Definitely more important than winning the Senate for future presidencies. Now, let's look at it. Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania all had, specifically Michigan and Pennsylvania, had really amazing election integrity candidates running for governor in those states. And they were both beat out by either uh, income, by their Democratic challenger. Okay. So what that means, Michigan, for one, this is another place where I would investigate like the sun don't shine. Because the last time that the Democrats controlled the governor mansion, as well as the both uh, houses of the assembly within the state, so they are blue, blue, and blue. Tennessee is red, red, and red, <laughs> as an example. They, in Michigan, it used to be a Democratic governor and then a a conservative assembly, which essentially is the state house and Senate, right? So your state representation was conservative. So that offered a balance to the Democratic governor. In Michigan this round, the, the assembly flipped. And so it is blue, blue, blue. We lost that state entirely. Not since 1983 has that state been entirely controlled by the left. I just find it very interesting that under the most unpopular president in history, we are seeing a blue wave in a key swing state midterm election. I just find that really interesting, and it would make me want to investigate just a touch further into that state. Wisconsin also, we lost that governorship to 
the Democrats, and Pennsylvania. My friend Doug Mastriano, oh, how I love Doug. I so wish he would have won Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is another election that smells just like 2020 to me. It's so funny that these same states are having a problem. And Arizona, strangely enough, is the, is the one that fought the hardest for election integrity post-2020. They're the ones that did change some of their election laws, I believe. And they're the ones that they're having the hardest time cheating in that state right now. <laughs> oh, they're trying. They are trying and trying and trying. But I do think that Blake Masters and Carrie Lake will come out as victors in that state, please, Lord, right? I think that they're going to come out on top in that state only because there was such a nonstop light on Arizona since 2020 about election integrity. Pennsylvania had, you might not remember this, in 2020, Pennsylvania certified their election with more votes than voters in the state. That is 100% fraud. There is no chance that you have more votes than you have actual voters in the state. And yet they certified that election, changed exactly zero election laws, and even Fetterman sued right before the election to make sure that ballots were counted without dates and signature verification and all the kinds of nonsense. The same old, same old. In Pennsylvania, they elected a dead person. Yes, they elected a dead person. And they also elected a senator who cannot form sentences. I am very sorry that Fetterman had a stroke in his run for Senate. I have no idea why they did not replace that candidate. They would have had a legitimate chance of making us all feel like this election was honest. But the fact that all the polls were trending in Oz's direction and Fetterman, the man who cannot actually say sentences... And again, this is not me being against disabled people. There are certain jobs, like my doctor as an example. My doctor cannot perform surgery after he has had a stroke if it impairs the ability for him to do his job. He can't. That's not me being like anti-disabled people. That's just like a logical way of thinking. The Senate is very important. He cannot do the job if the exact part of his job is to debate and to have conversations and negotiate and have a full understanding of the language and the verbiage, if he cannot do that, which he cannot, <laughs> then I don't believe that he was legitimately elected. I don't even know why he was on the ballot. But Pennsylvania elected a dead person and a person who cannot speak. That is so interesting. I think we should maybe peek at their elections. I don't know what happened in Wisconsin. But when we look forward towards the 2024 election Think about the states that we did not win with Trump, you know, fraud aside, the states that we did not win and the states that we have to win in order to have a Republican president moving forward. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania are important ones. Arizona, Nevada, Georgia. Do those all sound freaking familiar, right? These are the same states that we're having trouble with. Here we are again. It's just very deja vu. But if we don't have any election integrity happening in the next two years in those states, which we won't under Democratic control, because the Democrats maintain that there was no there's no issues with our elections. There is no issue. There's no reason to have a conversation about election integrity, even though 
our uh, Congress passed election integrity laws that allowed for the very thing they said couldn't happen on January 6th, where electors would be challenged. They now made a law where that can't happen ever again, where you cannot challenge electors ever again, even though they said you can't challenge electors. <laughs> I'm probably not making sense, but all that to say, we're not going to see improvement in elections under Democratic leadership when the Democratic leadership is claiming there is no need for change in elections. So we can go ahead and say Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania are lost. They are going to go blue in the next presidential election, no matter who is running. Because without election integrity, there's still these backdoor opportunities for 2020 and now 2022 to happen again, okay? We have Georgia. I'm really sad that Kemp and Raffsenberger were our best bets, but I'm glad they got reelected, I guess. I'm like, they were the same ones that participated in the shenanigans in Georgia last time. I'm very glad Stacey Abrams didn't win the governorship of Georgia. Don't get me wrong. We will see what happens in this runoff. If you're in Georgia, goodness gracious, you better be out there voting. You better be out there voting. But hopefully you see what I mean. And I'm, I'm assuming that we're going to keep Arizona and that we're going to flip Nevada to a, a red governor. I'm assuming that. And I'm still wondering if we even have a chance in future presidencies of electing a Republican. I mean, like ever again, like I, I hate to be pessimistic, but I'm like, hmm, that's very interesting. That will be a very challenging roadblock to overcome if we're already seeing repeat issues. You guys in Maricopa County, there just I read an article just 30 minutes ago that 17,000 ballots were affected by machines being down on Election Day. Who comes out and votes on Election Day? Is it primarily blue or is it primarily red? You know the answer to that question. 17,000 ballots were affected. That is a large margin. That is a large margin, and I think that's a lie. I think it was far more than that because the estimates were that at least 20% of voting locations were affected by machines being down, meaning you are unable to cast your vote. So people were turned away. People were not, they had to leave the lines. The lines were hours and hours long. Here in Tennessee, when I showed up to my polling place, one of the machines was down which meant there was a very long line and we had one, we only have two machines. It's a small rural area. One machine was down. At least can we please stop defending these machines? Like if, if this is completely just incompetence or machine malfunctioning and there is no malfeasance, all the more reason we need not count. You know what never doesn't work? Pen and paper works every time like a charm. Just write it on down there. Check your little boxes right there on your paper. Hand your paper to a small group of people. They're going to count a small group of ballots and report it up the chain. I mean, this is very simple. It's the way we used to do elections. Go figure. So all this to say, our hope is not in getting the Senate, although I hope we do. Our hope is not in holding the House, although I hope we do. Our hope is not in whether or not we have a red or blue governor, although I hope that states do lean more conservative to align. Obviously, this is my perspective, my personal opinion. I hope that we do make ground. I hope that we do change things. I know that there is a God who intervenes in the divine, in the spiritual, and who can do anything. There is no impossible with my God, right? However, he is the only place where hope should be laid. You guys, truly, and I am a patriot through and through, and I am 
very activated and very willing to do exactly what I can do and what God calls me to do to defend and honor my country and constitution. This is how I feel about it. However, I know that there's only so much that any of us can do in the natural. And I would encourage people to get on their knees and fight. Get on their knees and fight. Make it a point of being a prayer warrior for our country, for our leaders. Because do you know what would cause a radical shift in our country? Is if Joe Biden actually met the living God. Is if Joe Biden had an encounter with Holy Spirit. That would radically change our country. If he had a convicting of the Spirit. What if every Christian were on their knees praying for that day in and day out? Do you think if we were all collectively petitioning the heavens for a radical conversion of these elected officials that it would matter if they were blue or red, it would not matter. It would not matter. That's the only way we're going to truly shift the hearts. And you guys, I got to say, if we are in a position where people are showing up to vote solely because they want the right to kill their unborn baby until birth, If we are in a place where people are showing up to vote for whether or not they're able to chemically or surgically mutilate children's bodies in their state, if this is what is motivating people to come out and vote, I wonder if we don't deserve for this country to fall. And again, I don't say that lightly and I don't say that in a really strongly pessimistic way. Follow me with with this because... I know that we have a good God and I know that he is sovereign, which means none of this is a surprise. He knew that there was going to be cheating. If there was cheating, he knew where it was going to happen and he allows it. He either authors or allows everything that happens. So we don't need to feel uneasy or worried or concerned, be anxious about nothing, right? We don't have to worry about it because this is a part of his plan and the character of God is good. His actions are for our good. Now I wonder, and I'm, let me put this, let me put this forward to you. I wonder if not only do we deserve the judgment, right? We deserve the judgment, We need to be forced with an opportunity to repent, which I don't believe we have when things are really great and going super well. I don't think that leads people to repentance. I don't think it leads people to Christ. If you are a God, let's try for one hot second to even kind of sort of position ourselves from God's perspective or from an eternal perspective and know that everything God does is for our good eternally, not for our good as Americans, not for our good as humans on earth, but for our eternal good. I believe that more souls will be one for Jesus if we are suffering in this country. I don't believe that more souls will be one if this country just turns around and is wildly conservative again and the values are being forced down everybody's throat. I don't think that is going to cause true heart change. Would I love to see that happen? Of course. Of course, I want a country that is more aligned with my own values, okay? Yes, I do. Everybody does. That's why we do this, right? That's why we have elections, because we hope to elect officials who will vote in alignment with our collective values, okay? So this is not me being a Christian nationalist. This is me being a human on earth. Of course, I would love to see our country move more towards Christian values, yes. But I don't believe that that will actually save a single soul. I think that the suffering, I think that the crushing, I think that the trials in this country are going to be what saves souls for Jesus. 
Which does God care more about? Our country rising out of the ashes right now? Our country turning the corner and thriving? Or does he care more about the souls that are way lost? The souls that are saying, I want the right to kill my baby until birth. The souls that are saying, I am so lost that I was born a girl and I believe I'm now a boy. Do you think he wants to touch those souls? Or do you think he wants to restore our country to its constitution? And again, I don't know. I'm not God. I'm just posing a perspective here that I've been reflecting on. I believe that God is sovereign and that everything that's happening right now is for our good, including the judgment that I believe we deserve and is coming. Okay. So yes, this is a realist and you could even call it pessimistic approach to the midterms right now. But I have been saying for a long time now, our hope is not in our elected politicians. Our hope is not in elections. Our hope is not in Trump. Our hope is not in DeSantis. Our hope is not in our constitution. Our hope is not in our history or our potential future. Our hope is in God alone. And I believe he is doing a thing. I believe he is doing a thing. And it is for our good or for the greater good of those around us. And what is it that we can do? And I was just reading in um, the Gospels this morning about when Jesus is going to the cross, he tells his disciples to go get swords. He says, now's the time. I have provided everything you need. I've told you to leave your backpack at home. Your, don't bring extra shoes. Don't pack any food. Just come along with me and I will provide for you. And he did. But when Jesus was leaving the scene, he said, okay, now's the time to pack a bag. Now's the time to prepare for what is ahead. And I believe that that is where we are. This is why I do this podcast. This is why I give you guys the information I give you. Because I do believe that God is saying, if you already know me, I need you to hunker down. I need you to be prepared for what's, what is ahead. And I need you to be willing to pick up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. Right? Come with me. On what I'm doing in this country because it is for your good, of course, because I'm going to refine your faith like never, ever before. But also it is for the good of every one of your lost friends, family members, neighbors, schoolmates, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do a thing for you and I'm going to do a thing for them, but I'm going to need you to come into alignment with my will. And this is my prayer leading into the midterm and coming out of the midterm is Lord, your will, not mine. You know what I would love. You know what I want to pray for, but I don't want what I want. I want what you have planned because you're better. Your ways are higher. We need to align with that, especially as Christians, guys. So final thought on that before I just tag on the inflation conversation here at the end. When Jesus died on that cross, a lot of people thought, that the enemy had won. Even Satan believed he had won. But that was God's path to victory. It had to happen that way for God to actually get victory that was lasting, not temporary. I believe if we fight and pray for our country to be restored to what we think is the greatest country, right? Our, our version, our understanding of what this country could be, which is limited, right? If that is what we are warring for, that would be like the disciples saying, Jesus, don't die. You don't have to die, right? And, and what does Jesus say to Peter when he says, you don't have to die? He says, get behind me, Satan, because he knows that's the voice of Satan. Satan is tempting Jesus with stay alive. T Satan is tempting us with we want to pray for our country's restoration. And again, I will pray for our country's restoration. But I will say, just like Jesus, 
If you can take this cup from us, Lord, if you can save our country, Lord, please do it. But not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Modeling after Jesus's prayer. Lord, of course we want, you know what we want. Of course we want this suffering to go away. Of course we want this catastrophe that we see happening to go away, to change, to shift, to move in the other direction. But Lord, we trust you. And we know that your will is the surest path to victory. And I want victory that is lasting. I don't just want a couple more good years in our country if it costs us the rest of our lives in this country. I'd rather go through the rigmarole. I'd rather do the suffering if it's the way to true lasting victory in Christ, right? That's where our hope is. Don't lose sight of that. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged that God is sovereign. None of this is outside of his plan and control. And exactly what he wants to happen is going to play out. Okay, so we can be confident in that. We can be frustrated, but we can trust in that. And I would encourage you guys to not only pray, be fierce prayer warriors for our leaders, whoever they might be, but also that we would be praying in alignment with God's will. Okay, inflation being unmarried from politics. This needs to be understood. First and foremost, and I said this, I'm repeating myself from last podcast, so forgive me. Republicans ran on inflation, and I think that that was a mistake the way that they ran on it, because inflation was caused by Democratic ideas that were agreed upon and voted for by both Republicans and Trump, okay? So no one's hands are clean on the inflation, and the fact that that Republican politicians ran pointing the finger entirely at Democrats, I think that was wrong. Now, a lot, some of the politicians pointed the finger at, you know, possibly incumbent Republicans. Please, yes, we need to do that. We need to remind people, just because you have an R next to your name does not mean you are a good person, does not mean you are a conservative, does not mean you are a Christian, does not mean that I share the same values with you. So that needs to be just erased from our brain. Just because you are a Republican does not mean that you are going to vote in alignment with what is best for this country. That needed to be pointed out. It was a missed opportunity. Trump, Republicans, and Democrats are responsible for the inflation in this country. So yes, this started, inflation started as a political mechanism. It started with a political mechanism, I should say. And I will even go further to say it's, it was from left-leaning ideas, massive spending, stimulus checks specifically, but massive spending. Interest rates are the only hope we have to control the inflation. So more than one person has said to me recently, after the midterms, in, uh, interest rates are going to go down and inflation is going to come under control. And it... it signaled to me that people think that inflation has to do with politics. It started with politics, but it is now unmarried from politics. Inflation is like a runaway train at this point. And the only way to stop it is raising the interest rates. So I hope all the time that the interest rates go through the roof if we have any hope of saving our currency. So I know that's unpopular. And of course, no Republican is going to say that. I think it's a mistake, though, that they're saying, vote for me and I'll fix inflation because they cannot. It would not matter if we had a Republican president, Senate and House at this point. They could not fix 
inflation, especially because Jerome Powell, being the chairman of the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve is not right or left. It is private. So he is making the calls on the interest rates going up or down. Now, is he subject to political pressure? Of course. And right now he's being tremendously pressured to lower the rates, which America will cheer for without really understanding economics. You guys, the laws of economics have taken over inflation. It is not a right or left issue anymore, and there is no solving it without jacking up those interest rates. Unless, and again, I'm open to another idea. If somebody wants to email and say, yes, we can solve it this other way, I'm totally down. I'll have you on my podcast. Please explain it. Republicans cannot fix this. You guys, this is the part where I'm like, it doesn't, I've said this before also, it doesn't really matter who controls the Senate, the House, blah, 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 if our dollar is going off a cliff. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because if we have no currency, if we have no dollar, we have no currency. They're going to offer us a very pretty cryptocurrency, some sort of digital dollar. I promise that's the plan. It's already in the works. This is not conspiracy. It's like a thing you could read about. But a digital dollar, every single transaction is tracked They know exactly where you're spending money and they can turn it on and off. We've talked about this also. This is exactly how it works in China. Again, it's not a conspiracy. This is how it works in China. China has the most people, the the largest population of anywhere else on earth, and this is how they already do it. So it's not even weird to think that America could fall into this because all of China (laughs) already does that, does it this way. And China has like just so many more people than we do. I don't even know what, what is it like? I think there's like a billion people that live in China. That could be a completely blonde statement because I just feel like I think that. (laughs) I could be totally wrong. This could absolutely happen that we are on a digital currency. So we need to also just be praying for intervention there too. But again, I pray for intervention, but your will, Lord. If your plan is for us to go off the edge, then like I'm game. Let's go because I know you're good and I trust in you. But I wanted to put that in there because I think people have these high hopes that inflation is going to change and that we don't have to prepare and that we don't have to stock up for any of these things that could happen. If we just win the Senate, then the dollar's not going to collapse and everything's great. False, false, false. Y'all, please, please, please. Gold, silver, food. Have these things. Be prepared. Don't be caught off guard. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, thank you for being in control. Thank you that you are good. Those two things matter more than anything else, that you are in control and that you are good and that we can trust those things. Lord, that is all we really need. That is all we need to quell the angst, the anxiety, the fear of the future is that we know you are in control and you are good. And if we put our full faith and trust in you, Lord, there is nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Lord, let us do that. Let us move any faith that we've misplaced in idols, right? In our political idols, in our bank accounts, in our positions at work, whatever it might be, Lord, let us be, let this be a mass realignment. Let our prayers be, Lord, let us align with your will. Here's what we want. Here's what we're petitioning for, Lord, but not my will, yours will, your Lord. Not my will, but yours, Lord. In your son's name we ask this. Amen.